My name is West Givens, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. This time, it's just me. I talk about why it's been so long since our last episode, how the coronavirus affected my thesis film, and my commitments to the Black Lives Matter movement. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 57 of the Tungsten Originals podcast. Hey everyone, I hope you are doing well. It has been a very long time since I put out the most recent episode of this podcast. Obviously, a lot has happened in the world since the last episode. It genuinely feels like I put that last episode out like a year ago, even though it was, uh, you know, back in March. But I wanted to sit down and record a solo episode talking about why it's been so long since I've put out an episode, talk about how coronavirus affected my thesis film, Blueberries, and about the Black Lives Matter protests and how that has caused me to reflect on my position in the movement and the platform that I have with this podcast and with Tungsten Originals as a whole. Now, before we dive into the episode, I have an exciting announcement that I want to share with y'all. This year, I am going to be hosting director's Q&As in the Off the Block Film Exhibition. Now, if you don't know what Off the Block is, it is a film exhibition and showcase put on by SCAD students with the goal of giving indie filmmakers a platform to share their work. This year is the second year that they've done it, and it's all going to be online, and our director Q&As are going to be over Zoom, and they recently announced that all of the proceeds from their ticket sales are going to be donated to three different organizations, and you can choose which organization you want your money donated to upon checking out when you buy a ticket. The three organizations are the NAACP, the Bail Project, and the Bill of Rights Defense Committee. I'm so excited to be collaborating with the Off the Block team, and I'm even more excited that they are supporting this great cause with the money that they're going to make from the exhibition. So the dates for the exhibition are June 25th through June 27th, which is right around the corner. You can buy your tickets at their official website, which is linked in the description of this episode. And you can also follow their Instagram, also linked in the description, to learn about all the different films that are going to be showing. There are many, many great SCAD filmmakers that are going to be represented at this expo, and I am just really excited and honored to be a part of it, and I really hope that I can see you there. So I just wanted to announce that at the top of the episode because the dates are right around the corner. And um, yeah, back to the episode. This is the first time I'm doing a solo episode. Um, I much prefer <laughs> talking to people, you know, doing the interview style. That is where I thrive, I think. It took me a while to get the motivation to do this on my own because it's going to be rambly and, you know, it's going to be imperfect. And also, you know, I don't have access to the scad studios because scad is shut down so i'm recording this in my bedroom so it's not going to sound as good um and i am an absolute perfectionist as all of my close friends can attest when it comes to this podcast i've lost a lot of sleep recording and editing this podcast but i just care about it so much so you know it took a long time for me to i guess muster up the courage to just sit and talk to myself for an hour but that's what i'm doing now again it's this isn't going to be <laughs> the best episode of the podcast it's not going to I don't know. It's just going to be kind of rambly because like I said, a lot has happened and I think it's okay to just kind of sit down and talk for a little bit. But as I will talk about later, you know, I'm going to get right back into the regular interviews and you know, that format will be returning. Um, this podcast isn't like going through a permanent change or anything. I just kind of needed to sit down and talk about my thoughts. So I don't even remember. Let me look up when the last episode of the podcast came out because I don't remember. Wow. Okay. So the <laughs> the last episode of the podcast came out on February 12th. I had to look at my hosting platform to figure that out because it's it's been that long. Man, February feels so long ago. I'm recording this on June 15th. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I'm going to say this a lot. A lot has happened since the last episode. Originally, when I took a break from putting out episodes of this podcast, it was because of a couple things. things. Um, one, I was in 
you know, insane pre-production mode for blueberries, as any filmmaker knows. In in uh, in pre-production, as you get closer to your production dates, the, the list of things that needs to get done seems to get bigger, even though it should be getting smaller. Um, but you know, you you complete tasks, and all of a sudden, five more tasks are born out of it. But that's just the name of the game. So I was really busy figuring out blueberry stuff, and Tungsten had also just taken on uh, a good friend of mine, thesis film uh, Pink which is directed by Sammy Shoemaker. I interviewed her on the podcast, so you can check out that episode. And so I was running the BTS content for them. And so I was working on putting a team together for that. And, you know, we had a very long weekend of production for Pink. And so I was on set every day. And that just started taking up a lot of my time. And all of that coupled with school was, you know, hard to juggle on its own. And then all of that Plus, trying to put out this podcast proved to just be very difficult because, again, as I stated earlier, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist, so you know I spend a lot of time editing this podcast, and you know I always want to one up myself from episode to episode, you know, really get good guests, and I was starting to expand out of like my scad realm of guests, like Kate, who I was the last episode that I interviewed, um, you know, that was just like a cold email, pretty much had no connection beforehand and then just kind of coldly reached out and was able to book an interview, which was amazing. And I'm so appreciative that she gave her time. I'm really proud of that episode. And that was also the first episode that I did um, over video call, which is funny because now I'm going to be doing a lot more of those, you know, until the coronavirus situation is, I guess, passed if that will ever happen. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot of things to juggle. And I was really hard on myself at the beginning of that break because I just, the, the podcast was seeing a lot of growth and I didn't want to just lose it all. You know, I had this fear that people were just going to all of a sudden stop and not like the podcast or whatever, you know, all these conflicting self-deprecative thoughts. Uh, what's crazy though, is that I looked it up and we actually broke 5,000 listens over the break. <laughs> so all of the episodes combined have a combined uh, listening ship of over 5,000 listens, which is pretty insane. So thank you for listening, all of you. Um, still blows my mind that anyone cares to hear my voice, <laughs> which I guess, you know, maybe whoever listens to this episode, I will learn that maybe people don't care, <laughs> which is why I'm going back to the interviews. But yeah, so it was just a whole... It's so funny, though, to think back to February and like, <laughs> I wish I could go tell my, fe you know, February 12th self, like, oh, you think now is crazy? <laughs> Just you wait until the world economy almost collapses and everything else. But um so, yeah, I just got really busy and, you know, originally I was going to pick it back off later that quarter and then all of a sudden coronavirus situation becomes really insane so uh, now i'll talk about how coronavirus and blueberries combined to make one of the craziest <laughs> weeks of my life so um the last week of school which was mid-march coronavirus in the u.s was not near what it is now i mean now we have one hundred seventeen thousand deaths i think i know we passed a hundred thousand i think it's over one hundred seventeen thousand. but at that point there wasn't even a case in mississippi yet and mississippi has like over sixteen thousand cases right now you know, there was like the Monday of the last week of school, there wasn't really a thought of if the next quarter was going to get canceled. So as I've talked about a lot, SCAD is on the quarter system. So we were in winter quarter and then after spring break is spring quarter. There was no thought that spring quarter was going to get moved to online or, you know, anything like that. And then Wednesday, we only have classes Monday through Thursday. So Wednesday, the next to last day of the school week, my production designer Reese and I are at one of my actors homes looking at her wardrobe and you know picking out what clothes she's going to wear um and it went super well i was so excited going through her home and like seeing the pictures that she had and seeing the environment that she lived in really just solidified to me even more that she was perfect for the character and that gave me a whole lot of confidence in the film as a whole and also just in like how we would work together and like reese was feeling good about what we picked out and you know it was certainly there were a lot of things that still needed to be done. It was certainly still a crazy 
situation, you know, sans coronavirus, just like with all the pre-pro stuff we had to do. But I was feeling, I was moving away from nervousness and moving towards confidence, which is good, <laughs> uh, especially in the last week, you know, before we shoot. And so that day I get to Wednesday, I, I drop Reese off for his next class. And then I go to SFS, Savannah Film Studios, which is where we were picking up our equipment. And I don't remember how I found out this information, but I learn very suddenly that Providence, which is my grandmother's assisted living facility and where we were going to film, has been shut down to all outside visitors. And <laughs> that was insane. It, you know, just like a crazy curveball to get hit the day before you're going to leave because or maybe it was tuesday that i got that information i think it was tuesday i got that information and then wednesday was the day we were trying to like fix it that's what it was sorry it's been a long time <laughs> so tuesday i got that information and you know i'm talking to my producers all of a sudden you know we have a location that has fallen through and it's by no means the fault of the location owners literally the mississippi state department of health shut down all elder care facilities to outside visitors that obviously is an issue. <laughs> we only had three locations for filming. It was Providence, uh, one of my, my cousin's kitchen, and then a blueberry field. Like those are the only three locations. So a third of our location has now, you know, disappeared. So I'm working with my producer, my DP, thinking about how we can film somewhere else. You know, we were thinking about cheating a location for uh, an assisted living facility or Re at one point at the end of it, I started rewriting the script to where the grandmother would have in-home care instead of being at a facility. But then, you know, during all of this, we start not start paying attention to coronavirus, but we really it, it's it's starting to become obvious to America in general that this is much more serious than we thought. And, you know, things are starting to close down nationwide. And there's, you know, murmurs going around of like, what if the next quarter was going to be online and, and such it's what's insane is how crazy like how quickly the situation went from like oh there isn't an issue to uh oh now there's a huge huge issue i started thinking about how if if it's unsafe for us to go to providence then you know there's a good chance that it's unsafe to go elsewhere like one of the locations we were thinking for the rewrite was my grandmother's home so you know one of my grandmothers is in so the living facility my other grandmother is literally a block from my house and i was thinking about how we could shoot it there but then i, I don't want to endanger her of course and you know my as as we were learning more from the cdc i learned that my parents were in the um age range of people like at risk and so I'm like well i don't want to endanger them and then my uh couple of key members on my team are immunocompromised and like well i don't want to endanger them and so whenever you lose a location and you lose key people and you realize that the global health situation is getting like really really serious you have to make some tough calls <laughs> and um man that that last week i really didn't sleep a lot because i was just trying so hard to like figure out what the hell to do in so many different ways like figure out just pre-pro stuff, but then also figure out like what is even happening in the world. And then Thursday, the, the last day of class, I wake up to, after sleeping maybe three hours, I wake up to an email that spring quarter has been moved to online. Again, this is the last day of class. And all of a sudden we find out we have another week of spring break and spring quarter is going to be pushed to online instead of 10 weeks. It's going to be nine weeks and you have no access to any facilities, no access to equipment that is it and you know of course scad of course had to make that decision i'm not like mad at them in any way but it was just crazy to get that email and the last day of class i wasn't even supposed to be there because thursday was the day that myself and some other key crew were going to drive to mississippi and it was thursday morning i think literally at 5 a.m that i decided to postpone filming myself caitlin my girlfriend and reagan my producer and lee my executive producer and joe my dp were all that night trying to figure out what the game plan was but at the end of the day you know it's up to me to make the decision i was just thinking about everything and i was like well i don't want to drive to mississippi with like unfinished business i guess because we still again even without the coronavirus we still had production wise things that weren't 
solved, like where everyone was going to sleep because our crew was changing a lot um, and all these kind of stuff. And I like, I didn't want to just get there and try to figure things out on the fly, especially without some key crew members that, you know, couldn't come because of their uh, immune systems. And that wasn't them backing out. I told them, I'm like, no, you're, I'm not going to let you put yourself in danger because everyone had that same mindset that I do that all of us indie filmmakers do of like, you know, you get it done no matter what. But I was like, no, I'm not going to let you come because I'm not going to let you put yourself in harm's way. But I value everyone's commitment. So at about 5 a.m. Thursday morning, I made the decision to postpone production. Then we wake up and all of a sudden spring is online. And like the whole atmosphere of the school was so changed. Like it was palpable that something crazy was happening. And the last day, again, was senior three. I wasn't supposed to be there. And I show up and everyone's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, because they all knew I was going to be there. And I was like, yeah, I had to postpone it. And we're all talking to Professor Sadwith. And he doesn't have a lot of information. You know, the, the whole country was figuring this stuff out on the fly. <laughs> and it was just insane. And all of a sudden, the film industry is effectively shut down. Like, in the days after that, um, Caitlin and I were on the phone with, with one of her friends who lives in New York and is a PA on Law and & Order. And I forget the specific, you know, time frames of this story, but he said that picture up was like at 8:40 on this shoot and at 8:42 they were shut down like during the first shot they were shut down by by production because the film industry was just closing cuz you can't social distance while making a making a movie making a tv show like anything film wise you just can't do it anyone <laughs> I'll talk a little bit more about how the film industry is reacting to this later but any of my film friends know that it is so hard to change how you're doing things immensely in film because it's all been running the same way for the past you know hundred of years so the film industry just shut down one day and that that story that he told me from law and order was pretty insane also again this is so rambling and this is you know we're on a on a winding road of a story here but another thing that we were realizing in my senior theater class was that was the last time a lot of us were going to see each other because we were all going to graduate at, at the end of spring quarter at that plan. That was still what I was going to do. Now I'm in a position where I have to take senior three in the summer because blueberries can no longer be my thesis, which was truly devastating. I uh, spent months effectively, I guess a year thinking about that movie and, you know, months working on it and putting together a team and we raised money and I had bought hard drives and then bought props and we had auditioned people like, blueberries was going to be the most important movie that I'd ever made and having all of that ripped from me without my control was just awful because you know, as a director, it's, it feels good to be in control of something. And one thing that I like about film is like, sometimes the majority of the problems that come up are things that you can react to and change and still make a good movie out of. But damn, when there's a pandemic, <laughs> you know, your little student film isn't the most important thing in the world and you got to keep people safe and you just kind of got to read the room of the global health crisis and put things on hold and not being able to film was just awful. And I was, I have a couple of friends that were in the same position and, you know, perhaps I'll have them on the podcast and we'll have like a venting session on how awful that was. But because I wasn't the only one that was going to film over spring break. I know of two other people, Lucy and Jake, that have both been on the podcast that were going to film over spring break and they had to postpone as well. Um, so that was just terrible. And there's no like good way to put it like or silver lining. Like it was just awful. And I really hate that. I don't get to have blueberries as my thesis because I really poured my heart out into this script. It's by far the most personal thing that I've ever written. I was so happy with the team that we had, you know, I'd become really close with the people that I was working with and it was just a roller coaster of a production process. Um, and it had been so long since I had directed something that I had written, like the most recent thing that I had directed that I had directed that I'd also written was 38, which was, what two years ago so it just was like my time to shine <laughs> you know my time to come back and and make this movie and 
I didn't get to do it as my thesis, which is, you know, as at SCAD, as a film student, the thesis thing, the thesis film is like what you look up to your whole time, like from freshman year, like you, you see your friends making thesis films and you're like, I can't wait to do that. And I was in the same boat because senior three for the, throughout the whole quarter, I was seeing my friend's footage and I was like, man, I just can't wait to get back on set and, you know, do things professionally and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, literally all of a sudden, like within 48 hours, it was realized that I couldn't do it. So originally I, I, we sent out an email to the whole production team saying like filming is postponed. And in that email, our original idea was to film within 30 days of postponing it. We had thought, yeah, now that seems like a ridiculous call with the information that we currently have. But at the time we were like, well, this will pass. We will rent equipment privately, you know, and we'll, do it on our own kind of it'll still be my thesis but we'll do it on our own and then that we quickly realized that we couldn't even do that because this wasn't just like a month-long thing you know we're still in the middle of this stuff i talked to professor sad with my senior three professor and we both came to the conclusion that blueberries couldn't be my thesis because there wasn't going to be a way that i could film it scad wasn't letting any groups get together to film anything and then they moved summer quarter to online so just logistically, it was realized that I couldn't make it. And I decided to push senior three to the summer um, because I didn't want to have to come up with some crazy thesis because I still need a thesis film, you know, to graduate. And so I figured it'd be good to have time to develop an idea as a backup thesis and all that kind of stuff. And I also pushed it back with the idea that um, summer would not be online. You know, at that point, I was it was still up in the air if summer programs across the country were still going to be around. And I was operating off of the hope that they would, would be. Um, but then SCAD was moved to online. So I quote unquote graduated. Like I was, I was a part of the <laughs> online graduation ceremony, which was quite the experience. <laughs> um, but I still have like senior three to do this summer. And my new thesis is just going to be a pitch video for tungsten. It's it's something that I need in general, but I'm going to make like a 60, 90 second, 60 second, 90 second, something like that pitch video for tungsten, um, which will be good. It'll be good to have. And I'm excited to make something good out of that. But boy, does it suck to not have a proper thesis film. And I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer. Obviously, there's crazy awful things happening in the world right now and my little thesis from not getting made pales in comparison to them um but you know it still is bad (laughs) it still sucks in that way but that's okay because the good thing about it is that i still have the script and i still believe in the story i still have people that want to make it with me we still have the money that we raised i still have all the hard drives that i bought we bought props you know all of that stuff doesn't just disappear. So I'm still going to make blueberries. I'm at this point, you know, it's June. I'm thinking that it'll probably be next year. Um, when next year, I don't know because I'm hoping to move to New York in the fall and the people that I'm going to be making that I was going to be making blueberries with, you know, will kind of be scattered across the country. So time will tell when I will actually get the chance to make it, but I am absolutely determined to make it. One of my favorite quotes that came from this podcast is from Professor Stanley, who was very helpful to me um, because I was also in his class last quarter, and uh, he was very helpful in trying to help me figure out what to do during these situations. But on his episode where I interviewed him, he said, films are only made because people force them into existence. And that's what I'm going to do. And I have people that want to do that with me. So Blueberries is going to get made. It's not going to be my thesis film. But that is okay. You know, the world moves on. I'm still fine. <laughs> I still have a great script that I'm really proud of. And I'm going to submit that script to film festivals like for their screenplay competitions. So, you know, hopefully I can get some notoriety out of that and that'll make the pro- production process even easier. And everyone that I've talked to on the production team, they're all like, whenever you're making it, I'm down, which feels really, really good. Uh, I was worried not because of any previous actions, but just because life gets in the way of things. I was worried some people were going to be like, well, you know, I'll try. <laughs> but everyone has had the mindset of, I want to help you make this happen. 
and you know they're all looking forward to it and my actress peppy who was going to play the grandmother who has just been so she's been so kind <laughs> throughout this process she emails me every now and then checking up on things and she always says how excited she is to make it whenever we get the opportunity and that really really means a lot especially as someone who has a film career you know she is my elder it's nice to get respect from people that you give respect to so yeah the um that that's kind of the blueberries saga of the past six months um it's it's postponed right now i'm not calling it a full cancellation because it's going to get made a script is never just a script i'm very very proud of it and i look forward to submitting it to places and you know one day making it with the people that i love so when that comes around i will be very excited to talk about it on this podcast and share behind the scenes content and all that good stuff in terms of the film industry as a whole that's been a very interesting situation to watch because the film industry you know effectively for the past hundred years in terms of like on set logistics it hasn't really changed like it we've kind of done things overall you know in a huge in a macro scale we, we've kind of done them in the same way obviously now we have vfx and projection mapping like you know the mandalorian bts where you see them like with screens behind them and all that crazy stuff like obviously that changes the process you know in terms of what the set logistics are but overall things have been done in kind of the same way but this is the first time that the film industry has had to entirely rethink its processes because the industry employs so many people and so there are just average everyday people that are losing their job losing income with the film industry being shut down so it's not like you know disney is fine because it's disney <laughs> and there's still streaming i'm sure streaming numbers are just through the roof right now but um you know i feel really bad for other people that are career filmmakers and like below the line people that are now really really hurting and i feel bad for all of my fellow film graduates i've talked to many of you and we all have no idea what to do <laughs> because we all had so many plans for what we were going to be doing and now the industry has effectively been entirely put on hold now at this point i think some smaller productions have resumed a bunch of production companies have put out like safety guidelines uh for how to film and it's so interesting because the way a lot of them are doing it is you know you have first team come in and that's like lighting and they like lighting and you know the stand-ins and then they light everything and then the stand-ins fly out and so that first team flies out and then second team comes in and you know you've got your actors and stuff like that but the thing about filmmaking and specifically production processes is that it's so fluid like the way these production guidelines are going is they're saying step one first team comes in and then they leave step two you know actors come in and then you shoot, shoot step three everyone leaves and you wipe down the set but there's always like little tweaks that you have to make like you're always gonna have to bring in a grip to like tweak a light or something like that and so it's really hard to like separate groups of people entirely on set just because it is so fluid and time it's so expensive like minute by minute to make a movie or to make a tv show and that you have to make decisions very quickly so instead of being like hey let's get makeup in to like tweak the actor's hair it's so hard to be like let's get makeup to clean their stuff and have uh the actor put a mask on and then you know we're gonna fly him in just to tweak this little hair and then they'll take the mask off and then blah 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 blah, blah. and then that's all of a sudden 30 minutes <laughs> that you've burned whenever it would typically take you know 30 seconds or something that's a very not good example but it's just very interesting to see how the film industry is trying to adapt to the coronavirus pandemic and it's really hard to tell how safe these guidelines actually are just because we still very much don't fully understand the coronavirus you know we're still learning about how it works and which groups of people are at most risk i mean we, we've learned a lot but we're still working on a vaccine we're still learning things all the time and <laughs> from what i've seen i'm by no means an expert but from what i've seen the more we learn the more we realize how awful it is and like how bad it is so i haven't been on any productions with these new regulations i don't think i know anyone that has perhaps i can try to get in contact with someone who has onset experience during the coronavirus and you know have them on for an interview and talk about 
what that's like. But right now, I, I think some productions are back, but still, by and large, the film industry is halted. Movie theaters just opened back up in Mississippi, and I think they're at half capacity. So we'll see. <laughs> I mean, so much of the coronavirus is just we'll see what happens. Who knows if we'll still be doing this next year. It's it's so, so hard to tell. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if I'm able to get a job <laughs> in the fall. I'm mostly kidding. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be fine. And I, I think we'll all be able to find something. Um, but yeah, it's just very, uh, it's a very interesting time to graduate with a film and television production degree when for the first time ever, the industry has shut down entirely. <laughs> we'll see. I, I hope we get a coronavirus vaccine very soon. And I hope that it's free to everybody. And everyone that needs it gets it. And I hope it's effective and safe and all that good stuff. And I hope we, in general, become a more healthy, safer place after this. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So now that I have covered how blueberries and the coronavirus intersected, I want to talk about the Black Lives Matter protests and how they have caused me to reflect on being a white person from the South and, you know, also reflect on what role I have in this movement with this platform and with this company. And yeah, I just want to talk about what my thoughts have been since all of that has been happening. Um, again, as I said earlier, this is rambly. I, I never do this solo. I much prefer having other people on and talking to them. When it comes to me talking about these protests, I'm not going to say anything groundbreaking I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been said by someone else much smarter and more well-spoken than me. Um, you know, this isn't going to be some imp imp impassioned speech because I don't have that. You know, all I have are what's been mulling around in my head. And I, I like to think that maybe that is enough. I don't know. If you <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Now, before I get into it, I just want to very plainly and unequivocally say Black Lives Matter and Black Trans Lives Matter. Myself and Tungsten Originals as a whole believe both of those statements 100%. We all know about the horrific killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and many, many more unarmed black people in the past <laughs> forever of the United States. And we are currently in a moment right now where there are protests happening every single day and people are calling for the dismantling of the police. We want people are calling for us to rethink the policing system from the ground up. Uh people are angry. And you know, it's <laughs> it's um what's the word? It's uh legitimate anger justified sorry that's the phrase it's justified anger there's a whole lot of conversation about what white people are like what role can we serve in this and i and i want to break down like how my thinking has evolved over the past several years because you know since i guess high school since i started you know paying attention to <laughs> the world around me um i've kind of developed this idea of thinking of like well I know what I think about when it comes to progressive movements. Like I know my feelings. I know how I feel and I know how my friends feel. And I know that if I heard them say something wrong or if I heard my family say something wrong, like I would call them out, I would confront them about it, but I don't want to be public about it. That's kind of been my like way of thinking. I, I didn't want to be, I never wanted to be performative with my, um, caring about the issues, if that makes like any sense. I, di I didn't want to muddy the water or take the microphone away from someone else and say, look at me, look at me, I agree type of thing, because there are white people that do that. And it's really disgusting to see, like, it's just so, you know, they're doing it for the likes or whatever. Like I, I didn't want to be that person. And so I kind of just developed the I kind of just developed this way of thinking of just being like, well, I know how I feel. And if anyone ever, you know, asked me what my feelings are on black lives matter, I would of course be open and 
say that I supported and, you know, I, I wouldn't like lie to people, but I, I never like posted about it on social media. I just wasn't really public about it. You know, we haven't really talked about it on this podcast or anything. I guess what I've been, what I'm trying to say is that I've been really conflicted on how I fit into all of this for years. Um, I, I, of course, like anyone else, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to make it harder for someone else to speak their mind, you know, especially people of color. So that's kind of been my, <laughs> my mantra, I guess, is like a silent supporter, like a background supporter of it. And with the overwhelming number of Black Lives Matter protests that have been happening across the world, I just finally like realized that you have to be public. The, the great Angela Davis quote that's been going around that I think is really powerful is that it is no longer good enough to be, or it's, it's like, it's not good enough to be not racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. And man, if that just doesn't sum it all up, you know, <laughs> again, I'm glad there are smarter, more well-spoken people than me that are out there and <laughs> leading these things because I, I could not do it. But something that I've been thinking about is my family and I have been talking about race really for like my whole life. And and I mean like my immediate family, mom, dad, brother, sister, me, you know, at the dinner table, we've been having these types of conversations for as long as I can remember. And that really comes from growing up in Mississippi. It's interesting. I have a, a really good friend of mine who's from the Northeast and we were talking about these protests the other day. And he was talking about how growing up, he didn't really talk about race because it's much more of a melting pot up there. You know, there's much more cultures and races and religions. Like it's just very, very much more diverse up there. But in Mississippi, especially, but in the South in general, you know, it's really white and black. Like, that's those are just the main races that we have here. Of course, there are other um, races throughout the South and throughout the country, but in the South, it's it's predominantly white people and black people, you know. And in Mississippi, again, I'm speaking all of this as someone who grew up in Mississippi, but in Mississippi, you can see the effects of slavery and systemic racism all the time. Like you really have to be not paying attention if you can't <laughs> recognize that it's everywhere. You know, I mean, we're still having the Confederate monument debate down here. We're, Mississippi still has the Confederate flag in its state flag. Like these issues are still present, you know? And so, but it, I thought that our conversation was interesting because he was talking about, you know, from his Northeastern perspective, like they didn't really talk about it because, it wasn't as overt, I guess, because there just were more groups of people, you know, like his friend group was more diverse and stuff like that. Now, he wasn't saying that there wasn't racism in the North. <laughs> you know, that's racism is obviously everywhere. George Floyd was killed in, killed in Minneapolis, you know. Um, I just thought it was interesting thinking about how I grew up being very, I guess, conscious of race is, is, I guess, the proper term to use because I went to the public high school in Sinatobia before I went to MSMS. And in Sinatobia, there are two, only two school systems. You have the private and the public school. And the public school, you know, I'd say it's probably like 60, 40 white and black. And the private school is like 99 to one <laughs> white to black. You know, it's overwhelmingly white at the private school. And I, I went to school, or, you know, I studied and learned with people that didn't always look like me. And that just really opens up your eyes to the different lives that people live and the different um, privileges that people had. And I think I've been aware of my privilege for a long time because I knew, you know, if I grew up eight blocks away from my house, um, you know, it's the projects, it's the public housing in Sinatobia. And if I grew up there, just from being born there, I would have an incredibly different life than the one I have be than I was born into the family that I have. Like just because I was born into a middle-class white family, I automatically have an overwhelming number of privileges that people who don't look like me don't have. And 
Yeah, my family, we've just been having these conversations for so long. I mean, Martin Luther King literally walked, he marched through my hometown. My mom was, I think, maybe five years old. She was something very young in Memphis. She grew up in Memphis whenever Martin Luther King was assassinated there. Um, she remembers the uh, the trash strike that happened there. Um, sanitation strike, sorry. It's just something that I've been very conscious of, but that's not enough. You, you can't just be aware <laughs> that's the bare minimum, you know, like acknowledging that there is a problem, I guess, is the first step. But I was kind of stuck in the acknowledgement phase for years. But yeah, I was just <laughs> observant, I guess, for a very long time. But I have had this realization that you got to do more. You got to put your money where your mouth is, quite literally. Donate your money, <laughs> uh, which I have done. I donated to the... um there was a GoFundMe for Atlanta Black-owned businesses that were damaged during um, the protests, the the riots that happened there, and uh, I donated a little bit of money to that, and I planned to donate more money. And I had this very long phone conversation with Lee White, who's been on the podcast twice. Uh, he is a very good friend of mine. Everyone who knows Lee knows that he is just one of the best people that you know. Um, I truly love that man. I'm so glad that he is a part of my life. And whenever these protests started up, I called him. It was partly a, you know, catch up phone call because I hadn't talked to him since school was out. And it was also part of like, hey, <laughs> what do I do? You know, as a, as a privileged white guy, how can I help? Truly, I asked him that. I'm like, what, how can I help? Because he was talking to me about um, after the Ahmaud Arbery uh, lynching, how he was a part of some grassroots movements to, um, you know, for protests and stuff like that. And, and I was like, dude, I, I obviously have film skills. I have media skills. Like I can drive people <laughs> places. Like I just want to know how I can help because I've realized that I just need to own up to it, I guess, which again, <laughs> this isn't groundbreaking. Like I'm sure everyone else has known this for decades, but I think it's just, it was important for me to, to realize that. And, you know, I guess I didn't even fully realize the level of platform that I have. It's not like this podcast is listened to a bunch of people. It's not like I have a ton of Instagram followers, but I think for a long time, I considered platform to mean to inherently mean fame, like to have a platform, you have to be famous and you have to have a whole bunch of people paying attention to you. But as a white person in general, you have an inherent platform to your white family and friends and to the people who maybe don't get it, you know, to the people who say all lives matter or to the people who don't think the civil war was about slavery. I had a super fun Facebook argument with a guy who <laughs> didn't think the civil war was about slavery. And that went just about as well as you would imagine. But, um, it's important for white people like me to show other white people like, Hey, this is the right thing to do. We need to, we need to own up to the thing that we've been contributing to and benefiting from for 400 years. Um, something that I, this is very rambly. I, I, <laughs> if you're still listening to this, I appreciate that. But, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about Confederate monuments and specifically Mississippi, the uh, Mississippi state flag, which I genuinely think is on the verge of changing. And I really hope it does. But I keep seeing some people say that white privilege doesn't exist and that we like solved racism, you know, in the sixties, like after the civil rights act was passed and all that stuff. And, or, or, and I've also seen the conversation that like slavery doesn't affect you know daily life like we freed the slaves we we paid for original sin or whatever and man i really don't believe if you can live in mississippi i, I think this the southeast in general can be roped into this but i've only lived in mississippi or i've lived in mississippi the most um i don't think you can live in mississippi and not realize that this stuff is still happening um, it truly is everywhere. Like <laughs> Mississippi is just the, um, 
the epicenter of race relations in the U.S. I don't know who said this quote, but there's a quote that as does Mississippi, so does the country. And man, is that so accurate? Because (laughs) there's another quote that's like, there's the South and then there's Mississippi. (laughs) And both are very true. And you know, I am someone that loves Mississippi very much. I'm so glad I'm from there because I think it gives me a really interesting perspective on the world. But as my history teacher from MSMS said, we have to be the first ones to love it and also the first ones to criticize. And I think it's important to do that. I I wouldn't want to be from any other state, but damn, if there aren't a lot of issues in Mississippi, you know, Uh, again, not groundbreaking, (laughs) very obvious. I, I, if, if you have lived any amount of time in the Southeast and you truly just walk around going about your everyday life and you just think to yourself like racism isn't a thing. I, I, I think you're lying to yourself. I don't know if anyone truly believes that if you truly believe that, I guess you've just never interacted with a black person ever, <laughs> you know, and maybe that's true for some people, but uh, it's truly everywhere in every part of life is, is systemic racism prevalent. You know, so I have been thinking a lot about what I am supposed to do. And Lee, Lee really emphasized to me that I do have a platform, you know, a platform is a platform, no matter how small, I guess, to evoke (laughs) Dr. Seuss. Um, But I need to be better. I have certainly not been the perfect ally you know, for my whole life, um, I have grown so much. It's crazy to think back to who I was, you know, just graduating MSMS or even two years ago or last month <laughs> and think about how much I have grown and changed. And I, I hope it's all for the better. Um, I think it is. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that you could have done better years ago and that now you have an opportunity to do better. Like now there's no excuse. There never was an excuse to be totally fair. Again, the systemic racism has been happening since in the U S since 1619, check out the 1619 project, but I could have been more vocal, you know, years ago. Um, but I just chose not to. And and like that, the fact that you can choose to not care is like in itself proof that privilege exists. The fact that there are people that are saying like, I want to go back to normal. Like this is normal for black Americans. Like every black American has a story about fearing for their life when being pulled over. All of these things I'm saying right now, I could have said years ago. It's not like last month. I just realized that racism was a thing <laughs> and I can talk about it. So, but, you know, I think about how in gifted art in at Cinetopia High School before I went to MSMS, like eighth and ninth grade, I think every day in gifted art, I would have one of two arguments, if not both arguments. There was this one guy that was super homophobic and would literally say, like, if we let gays marry, like they're going to marry dogs next. And then there was a guy who didn't believe the moon landing was real. <laughs> so... I would have super heated, insane arguments with both of them, like every day, you know, this homophobic guy and this like moon land, like conspiracy theorist, dude. And I would get so angry, you know, and now I'm like angry at my past self for not owning up to what's happening around me and doing more. Um, I'm really not trying to be performative with all this. Just a couple of days ago, a bunch of celebrities put out this black and white picture or black and white video being like, I'm sorry for not doing more. And it's just so, it feels so fake, man. If you have to put a black and white filter on a video for it to have meaning, <laughs> I think you need to rethink how you're doing some stuff, but whatever this is, I'm going off topic. I've just realized that I need to do more, you know? Uh, and so I'm going to. I'm going to donate more money. Um, I'm going to have hard conversations. I, I think a lot of this is just like sitting and thinking about yourself. And 
about your past. Uh, to I'm talking about white people. <laughs> this is to all my fellow white folks out there. Um, a lot of this is just sitting and recognizing the life you live and how you can do better and how you can uplift the people around you. And it's, it's sloppy. Like it's, you know, you can't post that on Instagram. Like it's, you can't, you just gotta do the work. Like it's just work. You know, what I hope my fellow white Southerners are doing is having the hard conversations with their family, because like this all starts with, I shouldn't say it all starts because there's so many different ways that we can improve the world. But, you know, a lot of progress can be made in one-on-one -on -one conversations with the people that know you best. You know, it's so hard to, <laughs> I, I grew up having so many of my friends, like we all had experiences of like racist family members or friends or just people of our community like saying awful things and like you don't know what to say because you're supposed to be nice because you know blah 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 but like we can't i we can't just sit idly by as like these things happen and so a lot of this comes back to having really difficult really uncomfortable conversations with the people that are around you the most. And I encourage you to have those conversations and I encourage you to recognize that people's minds can change. I have witnessed throughout my life. People's minds change on various topics about human rights. It is possible. Um, that guy that I was on a Facebook argument with, you know, he doesn't think the civil war was about slavery. He might be a lost cause <laughs> if we can't agree on that basic fact. Uh, you know, Maybe we should save our breath and talk to other people. But um, I think the overwhelming majority of people can change their minds. And the New York Times just put out an article. I'll, I'll link it in the description about how quickly the public um, support of Black Lives Matter has changed within the past months. And it's really incredible. Like public opinion doesn't change that much that quickly. So, yeah, I just hope you're having the hard conversations. I've been thinking a whole lot about my past actions and just what I can do better, both as a privileged white guy from the South, but also as a filmmaker. And that's another thing. Before I close out this episode, I want to talk about our role as artists and creators in supporting this. Um, I will, of course, be speaking primarily from a filmmaker perspective and I guess a podcaster perspective, although I really don't want to call myself that um, because you know, I am a filmmaker in those things, but I think this can apply to all artists. Um, something that has been giving me hope is that people are turning to art to understand each other, to understand people who think differently. We've seen a whole bunch of links with resources of like documentaries you should watch, podcasts to listen to, books to read, we're turning to art to learn about each other. We're turning to art to like wrestle with the thing that has been in front of us for the past 400 years. We're turning to art to educate ourselves and the people around us about how we can do better and how, you know, this problem goes a lot deeper than just George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. It goes a lot deeper than just the police. It goes a lot deeper than, incarceration etc 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 it goes to the very foundation of what this country was built on and as a young artist who feels <sighs> responsibility who feels a lot of things you know um it gives me hope because it's it's showing that artists can be the bringers of change i, I think about the civil rights movement of the 60s and how music was so it was so tied together in the civil rights movement you know music has always been a powerful thing when it comes to progressive movements you know now we're turning to ava duvernay who has fantastic movies like selma and 13th we're turning to the 1619 project which is a fantastic podcast that i listened uh in one day driving from Mississippi back to Georgia after being home from graduation and we're turning to books and 
I don't know. It just gives me hope that like young artists who are entering this world of that's feels like it's on the brink of like real change. It gives me hope that like we can help bring that in. And I think we have a responsibility to stand up for what is right. And, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't like politics, but like, this is, there are naturally elements of this that are politics, but like, this is so much more than that. This is about unarmed black people getting murdered by the police all the time. (laughs) This is about black men getting jailed for weed and losing the right to vote forever in some states, you know, like this is, this is serious stuff. And I think it's important for us young artists to take a flag and put it in the sand and be like, this is how I feel. And it is perhaps even more important for us to lift up the voices that need to be lifted up. I am never going to write and direct a movie about what it's like to be a young black man growing up in America, because I will never be able to fully understand what that's like because of how I have grown up. What I can do though, is help someone else tell that story. I can, you know, produce a short film that does that. I can help out in the production process. There's a whole, there's a myriad of things that I can do to help other people be able to tell their stories. And I think, as a filmmaker and as someone with this podcast, that's what I have to do. And so on upcoming episodes, you're going to hear me interview. I'm still going to be talking to filmmakers about film because that's what I love to do. And that's what this is about, but I'm not just going to be talking to white folks. Like I've been doing a whole lot of (laughs) throughout the past year that I've been doing this. I want to talk about people who other people haven't given the platform to. I want to talk about people who have different experiences than me. That is something that I love about this podcast is just talking to people. Like I, that is the, if I could just do this forever and find someone else to edit it because it takes a lot out of me editing this thing, I could just talk to people forever because I love learning about people in that way. And it radically changes how I view the world and just opens up my worldview. You know, like when you're introduced to people, your worldview just expands Going to MSMS was a huge worldview view opening event for me. How's that for some eloquent words? Um, <laughs> uh, because I was starting to go to school with people that didn't look like me. You know, there's a whole bunch of different cultures and, and races uh, and um, what's it called? Backgrounds at MSMS that I hadn't experienced before. And so that was huge in opening up my worldview. I learned so much in those two years. So that's what I'm going to do. And if you're a filmmaker, an artist of any kind, I urge you to do the same. It's been so great to see black artists' work um, be shared throughout these past couple of months. I mean, I've found some black photographers that are just putting out amazing work. And it's just so, it's so good to see. Thank God social media is a thing because so that we can, you know, share this stuff on our own time. Um so that's what I'm going to be doing. I think it's very easy to feel very hopeless during these times because this has been happening for forever, effectively, you know, for 400 years, this has been happening. Um, and it's taking, it's taken so long for us to just even get where we are, you know? Um, and so I think it's very easy to maybe be, hopeless in this time because like even as we're calling for the end of police brutality like police are just beating the shit out of peaceful protesters and we're watching it happen like in clear (laughs) hd you know we're seeing this happen in front of us and so it's like it, it can feel i think like nothing good is going to come out of this but i i genuinely think something good is going to come out of this And I think that we have a place to bring that good in. Like I said, people are turning to art right now. I I don't think art, you know, is going to replace, you know, traditional classroom learning, obviously, but they can absolutely work hand in hand. And art can very obviously teach people about the world and about people that they, like people that have grown up in different situations than them. 
And I think film is a powerful way to do that. I think books are a powerful way to do that. And I think podcasts are a powerful way to do that. So, you know, that is all that long and rambling, meandering <laughs> word I just, or the road I just went down uh, is all just to say that I'm going to do better. And I wish I was doing better for the past several years. But uh, better late than ever, I guess. Um, so that's where I am. I am going to put a bunch of resources in the description. I'm going to try to focus on like petitions that haven't met their goal and like GoFundMes that haven't met their goal and stuff like that. Um, but I think everyone has their own way of figuring out where they fit in into this movement. But you gotta, you gotta speak up and you gotta help other people speak up. Because it's not just enough for me to be alone in my apartment and just say to myself, ah, oh, well, I know I'm not racist. <laughs> it's not enough. Um, it's important to look at yourself and think about when you could have done better and think about how you can do better in the future. And so that's what I've been doing a lot of. That's what I'm going to continue to do. And um, yeah, I look forward to having more people on this podcast look forward to getting back into it i i don't know you know how consistent the podcast is going to be just because things are changing so much i'm going to have to be doing it over zoom and you know blah 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 blah. it's going to be difficult um but i'm here now and you can follow tungsten on instagram to know whenever the next um episode is coming out and feel free to reach out to me if you want to be on the podcast if you want to uh what's it called if you want to suggest people to be on the podcast please do that i'm always i you know that's like i, I kind of go right now with my circle of people that i know i can access but i i love talking to people that i've never spoken to before because you learn a lot and i think it's good for the audience to learn too so i have been rambling a bunch I appreciate you listening to this episode. It's not all going to be solo. Hopefully this is the only solo episode because I much prefer having other people. And I'm sure you you much prefer listening to me talk to someone else and hopefully not just talking by myself. But I, I guess if this is something that you want more of, you know, let me know and maybe I would consider it. <laughs> so before I close out this episode, I, I want to leave you with a couple of things. First off, is this post that I put up on the Tungsten account. Um, you know, I recognized that there was something, I, I need to make a statement, I guess, as a company. I wanted to put something out there to show my support. And so I said, congratulations to the SCAD class of 2020. If there's anything this year has taught us, it's that we need new voices in the world. As you move forward, never wary from speaking your truth. Make the art the world needs to see right now. Challenge narratives. Make people uncomfortable. It's time. We'd love to help along the way. And so I, I truly mean all of that. If there's any way that I can help you tell your story, please let me know. That's That's been the mantra of Tungsten, you know, in general, but especially right now, please get in contact with me. I'd love to help. I'd also like to leave you with this quote that has really stuck out to me. The, there's a company called Oxford Pennant, and they make these great like pennants and flags and stuff. And they, has, they have a flag that says the young are at the gates. And I really loved that phrase. And I looked into it and turns out it is um, a Lavinia doc quote um, about the suffragette movement. And yeah, I'd like to read this to you. If anyone says to me, why the picketing for suffrage? I should say in reply, why the fearless spirit of youth? Why does it exist and make itself manifest? Is it not really that our whole social world would be likely to harden and toughen into a dreary mass of conventional negations and forbiddances, into hopeless layers of conformity and caste? Did not the irrepressible energy and animation of youth, when joined to the clear-eyed, sham-hating intelligence of the young, break up the dull masses and set a new pace for laggards to follow? What is the potent spirit of youth? Is it not the spirit of revolt? of rebellion against senseless and useless and deadening things, most of all against injustice, which is of all things the stupidest.
Such thoughts come to one in looking over the field of the suffrage campaign and watching the pickets at the White House and at the Capitol, where sit the men who complacently enjoy the rights they deny to the women at their gates. Surely nothing but the creeping paralysis of mental old age can account for the phenomenon of American men, lawmakers, officials, administrators, and guardians of the peace, who can see nothing in the intrepid young pickets with their banners, asking for bare justice, but common obstructors of traffic, nagger nuances that are to be abolished by passing stupid laws forbidding and repressing to add to the old junk heap of laws which forbid and repress. Can it be possible that any brain cells not totally crystallized could imagine that giving a stone instead of bread would answer conclusively the demand of the women who, because they are young, fearless, eager, and rebellious, are fighting and winning a cause for all women, even for those who are timid, conventional, and inert? A fatal error, a losing fight. The old stiff minds must give away. The old selfish minds must go. Obstructive reactionaries must move on. The young are at the gates. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I look forward to the next one. And yeah, the young are at the gates. I'll see you next time.